Evolutionary.org presents Evolutionary Hardcore Podcast with your co-hosts, Steve from the American Underground and Mobster from the UK Iron Den. Get ready for the most hardcore and underground info in the industry. And here we go. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6... Evolutionary.org Hardcore Podcast coming your way. Episode 147, Greg Kovac. Steve Smee here in the mobster. What's up, buddy? We're going to kill the Canadian beast. Let's this, this smash this one out of the park. Okay. So, yes, Greg Kovacs, Canadian professional bodybuilder. He passed away back in 2013. He was only 44 years old. Very similar to Rich Piana, who was also about that age. While alive and at his peak, he was considered the largest bodybuilder in the world. His peak size, over 400 pounds. He was huge. He was also a businessman, and he did some coaching for bodybuilding. So in this podcast, guys, we're going to talk about his life, some life lessons for everybody listening to this. We're going to get into a steroid cycle. Fun stuff. It's going to be a fun <laughs> podcast. So first, a little history on him. Niagara Falls, where he was born, on the Canadian side of the border. He studied electrical engineering in college. He loved sports growing up, soccer, hockey. Those are the main sports up there in Canada. He started weight training as a teenager, and he got a passion for it as he got into co- college. Six foot four, huge guy. 420 pounds was a off-season weight. His chest, 70 inches. His arms, 25 inches around. That's bigger than most people's heads, guys. There's rumors that he was even larger than that, up to 27 inches. He would eat a ton of food every day, guys. Can you imagine his grocery bills, Mobster? His grocery bills were enormous. I'd have to get a real job. So what, what are your stats compared to him? He was six foot four, four twenty. He's one inch taller than me, or was one inch taller than me. I'm six foot three, and my heaviest on a cycle recently was 329. I believe I weighed uh, 22, 22 stone 12 yesterday, which I think off the top of my head is 316. Uh, the idea that I would weigh another uh, 84 pounds, 329 was uncomfortable. Now, I've said before on podcasts, it takes an age to get used to. I can only think of a couple of kind of lean, muscular, but taller, strong men that have been this kind of size. Uh, uh, Dominic Villiu, who had uh, serious anxiety issues, was around 200 kilos. And four, uh, half four, uh, Bjornsson, uh, who's another three, five inches taller. He was six foot eight, something like that. So another three, four inches taller, uh, weighing, I believe, at 1.205 kilograms. But uh, it, I, this is a thing, right? When I walk around at 20 stone, which is 280 pounds, I feel big. And then I go to a strongman competition and I'm not big. Those guys are 330. The small strongman are 330. And the big motherfuckers are 370, 380, 400. This guy is probably looking like a bodybuilder. And certainly is the stuff I've seen looking like a bodybuilder with a waist over 400 pounds. And as big as you think you are, and as big as I think I am, it it, 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 it kind of resets your value on what big is when you see a guy like Greg. I mean, it's just, it's incomprehensible. It's like seeing a thousand pound fat person. It's just like, how the hell did that happen? How, what am I looking at? And it's the kind of stuff where we've seen videos of um, German bodybuilder walking around a supermarket. And as you mentioned, Rich Piana, people kind of sort of taking two looks to try and comprehend what they're looking at. Greg was that kind of size. He is on another level. Most of the lifters on our website and the forums are 180, 205, 210, and they look damn good. This guy's double, double literally double that size, guys. He, 90% of you listening is two times as big as you are. And it is a real hard thing to get your brain around until you see it in person. I've been around those people and it's still, I've only got I've not seen them for a few weeks and come back and motherfuck you, huge. 
If they're around you all the time, kind of you kind of get a little bit sort of yeah, but you still know they're big. This is big, 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 big. Steve. If you guys Google a picture of him, I mean he's big. Yeah. And if you ever saw him in person, it'd just it'd be incredible how huge he was. So 1996, he won the Canadian National Championships. Obviously, he wasn't 420 pounds when he did it. He also plays for the IFBB Night of Champions, IFBB Ironman Pro in the patient in the late 90s, 13th in the Arnold Classic in 2004. He was never a great bodybuilder, guys, but he loved doing it. And, you know, I give him credit for that. At least he went out there and, and loved something and he did something. But, you know, he's not going to do well against more conditioned competitors. That's not what judges are looking for. They're not looking for someone huge like that. They want to see you be ripped. So he was never a ripped guy. He never had a flat stomach. He had the whole bubble gut thing going. So, and at the end of the day, his diet, guys, 10,000 calories a day when he was over 400 pounds. And then he would drop his calories down, 2,000 calories, when he wanted to dr drop his weight. And then he'd drop in another 2,000 calories. So at the end of the day, he was still bringing in six to 8,000 calories. And that to him was cutting. That tells you how his. You know. So, Steve, can you imagine? I'm cutting back to eight thousand calories a day. Exactly, it's crazy. Just, just, just that, just that line. That's that's again, guys. Yeah. This is a sense of scale. I know world class strength athletes, four thousand, six thousand. You're cutting back to eight thousand calories. Get that through. Just think about what that really means, guys. Thank you. Yes, and uh, it's uh, it's crazy. There's stories of him eating two dozen eggs a day every single day. So your two dozen eggs that's ten bucks. Your egg bill alone a month is three hundred bucks a month. Just <laughs> just on eggs. So, I mean, can you imagine him growing a grocery store like a weekly grocery store run? He probably have to go twice a week minimum, right? So he's going to the grocery store. He's getting he's got to eat two two dozen eggs a day. So he's getting two cartons of eggs per day so he's going there and getting like six or eight cartons of eggs and putting in his car i've seen people like that at the grocery store i live in a wealthy part of the country you know what those people are doing mobster they're they taking <laughs> a boat trip on a yacht for like yeah. a month or two weeks <laughs> minimum right and they're going there and they're filling up their car with like eight hundred dollars worth of food tons of different foods yeah and you ask them, you know, what are you doing? Oh, oh I work on a yacht. I'm buying all this for my client. We're, we're yeah. going on a two-week or three-week yacht This is all trip. for him. And this, this guy, is just, this is for him for three fucking days. So <laughs> it's an insane amount of food, insane amount yeah, of money. I mean. So now you see how these, you know, he did it. And to get to that level, guys, you build up, you build up, you build up, and it becomes an obsession. It's a bigorexia thing. It's a, It's a mental thing where you feel like I'm not big enough, I'm not big enough, I'm not big enough, and you want to just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So it does have health consequences, which we will get into shortly. There, there is a thing, and I'm just jumping in here, Steve, there's a kind of process sometimes where, and I've done this in my lifting competitions, where one of the things I've talked about is negative, positive, and open behavior. And open behavior goes, for example, let's see where this thing can go in terms of a lift. So maybe he has that sense, he goes, Let's just see how damn big or how damn strong I can get. But in reality, as Steve said, just using the shopping cost as an analogy, with its $300, $400, shopping cost, and that's twice a week, when, when you literally can only wear the clothing that a sponsor's given you because anything else needs to be custom built, whether it's pants. And when I say pants, I use the English version of pants. I mean, literally your underbriefs need to be custom built because the waist is fine because you're a bodybuilder, but your legs are 36 inches. There are video clips of his thighs being measured. There are no normal size pants that ain't for a fat person that have a 36 inch thigh. And that's just your underbrief, your boxes. So you, you, you start to go, you go from, let's see where this thing can go to, damn, every single thing I do is expensive just being this big. Every single thing I do requires me to spend hundreds of dollars several times a week just to feed me so then as steve says you go from an open-ended idea to a negative idea which is i'm just feeding this monster now it's like it's like having 
a Tyrannosaurus Rex in the garden and you can only got budgies, man. You'd need thousands. You just constantly, everything you do, this piano had huge feet. It's just crazy. So literally, you know, if I want to get a new pair of shoes, it's $200 pair of shoes and a crap. It's, it's, it's having to go one place for pants. It's one place for T-shirts. If you go for any social function, you're the only one that's not there in a shirt and a tie or looking smart because you can't because it costs you a thousand dollars. So then it becomes an obsession. Then it becomes bigorexia. And we and, and Steve and I have done in the pre-show, we're going to get into just how difficult it was being this big. So yeah, it's again on another scale, on a, uh, it's going to be really, really difficult to comprehend. I've had some of the issues that he had, some on a, in a tiny little way in terms of being able to do certain things for myself. There were things he could not do for himself. If he didn't have a wife, he would literally not be able to do certain things for himself that the rest of us consider perfectly normal, Steve. So get into his workouts a little bit, and then we'll talk about some of the background stuff about his life. We'll get into his arrest. We'll get into some stories about him. So once you get that and start us off on some of the stuff we talked about in the pre-show about his life. So, so he did a very well-known uh, video the number one video of his way back in the day for a very big uh, sponsor of the Mr. Olympia around that time that had people like Jay Cutler, etc. I don't know if I want to mention the name, it don't need to give them free advertising, but at the time they were the sponsor and they gave the contracts that you really wanted to have. I'm talking six figure plus. Uh, rumors have it abound of one of people, Jay Cutler and a couple of others between two and $400,000 contract. I don't think Greg was getting that kind of money. However, he was the biggest freak they had on the cards. And so they did a very nice training video. And you've got stuff there, there with him, like, for example, filling up a nebula, pro fitness, a leg press, and, and, and just going to reps on this kind of stuff, working up to, I believe, five and maybe even six plates of sight on an inclined Smith machine press and things like this. And in the pre-show research, we're talking about he was doing a, a split, perfectly normal, five or six days of training. Uh, but it's the numbers, guys. The numbers, again, I'm talking about 130-pound dumbbell curls. I mean, I can go heavier than that, but this guy was doing other stuff as well. And his arms are like six inches bigger than mine. Uh, so it's that kind of level. There, there's, 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 as I said, you go on the, um, doing a whole stack as a warm-up on the leg extension machine, 15, 20 reps. And it's that kind of stuff again. In fact, arguably, uh, and I think we've touched on this in, in, in the podcast before, some of the really, really top-level pros go to multiple gyms because some gyms won't have the equipment that they can use. Greg is so big, I'm surprised he could get on certain. I think he's doing one of the, the hammer machine press, uh, incline press, I believe, and he has to sort of turn sideways to get in and out of the machine. And then one, one exercise he's doing, he has to put weight on the handles, the grips, because he's filled up the loading pins on, on each end of the machine. So the maximum, the most that they'll hold is like seven plates, and he's having to put a five and a 10 kilo plate, 50. Uh, 22, 25 pound plate onto the handles just to add load. So there was actually kind of in a perverse way issues with being so strong that he was maxing out the equipment and having to rep stuff like that. And it's kind of a cool video. The weights don't look fake. Uh, he seems very happy doing what he's doing. So I can only assume that in the off season, he was kind of crazy strong, Steve. And I can think of one UK fella that come the kinds into this, which we'll touch on in a minute. So yeah, I mean, we're not looking at anything crazy here, people. Uh, if anything, there was a certain limit to him in terms of being able to load he could put on a machine and spotters. When you're benching six plates aside on an incline bench, even on a Smith machine, it's hard to find buddies to come over and help you with the weights. You know, when you're running out of room, to, it's just that kind. It's just a bizarre situation. So so crazy, crazy strong, maxing stuff out, being so big that it's hard to squeeze yourself in the yeah, it's again, it's on another level in terms of his actual training as a pro bodybuilder, kind of normal, you know, a little bit of volume in there, leg extensions, uh, some Smith between squats, leg press, leg curls, um, deadlifts, all the stuff that you would expect him to do. But with the kind of weights that, again, you bar bending, the old fashioned term is bar bending. If, he, if this is why he was using certain machines, just for safety. The idea that you're going to bench five or six plates on an incline barbell bench when you haven't got buddies that can spot you and most gyms that you go to, and again, he's a sponsored athlete, he's going to be traveling around. He's going to, he's going to find it incredibly difficult to go to a venue and find the equipment that can handle the kind of weight that he wants 
just to stay in shape. That's how kind of crazy his kind of training is going to be and at the level he's got to. I think in Canada, I believe he trained at one particular place. That was probably the one they did the video in, but everywhere else, I bet he had to go online and look up hardcore oh gyms and how far away they are from the venue and the event he's doing the, 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 the sponsor work for just to find a place. Or can you please arrange to have these dumbbells? Can you put it's, 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 I, I, I'm there or thereabouts on some pieces of equipment, Steve, certain exercises that I do. We did a road trip the other day and I asked them what the heaviest dumbbells they were for hammer curls. And I think they have 85s, which I did for reps. Uh, very loose for me, as to be said. But I believe the biggest they had with 90s, which is the most I've done. I think I've done 100 with a, a, a sort of a horrible setup here. And that's just a horrible way of doing their movement. This is Greg's life, or was Greg's life. This is going to be his thing all the time when it comes to training. So, and again, even a strong man, you have to go to certain places where you know that they've got strong man equipment and they've got enough silly little things like thin plates so that you can get enough weight on the bar. It's kind of crazy for most people when most of us never max out equipment or don't need to max out equipment. This is his life. This is what he was doing. This is this is part of that obsession. If it was a, if he had to pay for this stuff out of his own pocket. Man, it cost him three, four hundred thousand dollars just to set up a home gym. Can you imagine, Steve? I would imagine a gym owner would see him walk in and be like, "Oh, not this guy <laughs> yeah. again. This guy is going to destroy everything. <laughs> you know, he's yeah. going to bend every yeah. bar in the gym." I, I worked out at a gym uh, that every bar was bent. You know, it's it's really, really annoying. So that's what happens for sure. So, you know, let's the, get it. Yep, yep. Sorry, one more thing. Was it in the UK here? Have you got some very nice what they call sports clubs? Um, Virgin Fitness and a couple of other big brand names. But these are the kind of almost like your country clubs that you have in America. So you've got tennis, basketball, football, everything's on site. It's not a sports center, it's a private thing. There are some of these places where the bars are only rated to 150 kilos. I believe there's an Italian brand where the bars are hollow. So it's tube, not solid steel, and they're only rated to 330 pounds. Can you imagine? Greg turns up, everything. He's damaged. He can't, he's not even getting a warm up, and these things are going to be bending. So, yeah, it's going to be like that. Thank you, sir. So, I'm going to talk about a little bit of his arrest, a little story about his arrest, and then Mobster can talk about some other stories. And Mobster is mm. going to go over his death, what happened. So, uh, back in 2010, he basically threatened the guy. The guy had owed him money, him and another guy. So Greg threatened him and he scared the guy into going to a bank and withdrawing a large amount of money. So especially in Canada, if you go in there and you want to withdraw a large amount of cash, they're legally allowed to get nosy and ask you, why are you, why do you need to lose this much money? It's not like that so much in the United States. Banks. They do it here. Yeah, I know in Britain they do it. And a lot of that is because of situations like this yeah. where the guy ended up telling him straight up, hey, this guy's threatening me. And he said, if I don't give him his money, he's going to kick my ass. So that's when, the, you know, the authorities get involved. That's that's considered extortion. You can't threaten someone into giving you money. That's There's one thing where he could have just told him, hey, dude, look, we need to settle. You have this balance. You know, can we please get this done? you know, uh, di diplomatically. And then the guy goes to the bank and withdraws a large amount of money, but saying, I'm going to kick your ass. I'm going to, you know, break your head. I'm going to crack your skull. If you don't get me this money by the end of the day, that's, you can't do that. You know, United States, you can't do that. And in Canada, you definitely can't do that because they don't mess around <laughs> up there when it comes to stuff like that. So basically at the end of the day, you know, he gets arrested because he didn't have a history, because he pleaded down the, the case, be, because he had, you know, some money and could hire a good lawyer. Obviously, he got, he didn't get in trouble. But like in a, in a lot of situations, you do something like that, you're looking at, you're looking at some prison, you know, especially if, if a criminal history, they don't mess around with that stuff. So in his situation, you know, he got away with it. But it's a life lesson, guys. And he even admits it. Look, you know, if it's, if someone owes you money and you're going to threaten them and risk going to prison over some little bit of money, that's not worth your freedom. So it doesn't make any sense. So, you know, he admits, Hey, I shouldn't have done it. And that's it. They settled it out of court. It was, it was a plea deal. They settled it. Every, and everyone went their separate ways. So some officer tell us a little bit about um, some of the stuff you, some of the other cool stuff. 
All right, so there, there, are, there are a bunch of rumours and uh, RX Muscles covered some of these stories. Uh, Dave Palumbo is a great one for telling Nasser Olsen Barty stories. And they had a, a, an episode a couple of years ago where they were repeating stories that Nasser Olsen Barty had come out about the time when Greg stayed with Nasir. And Nasir is a 280 to 300-pound bodybuilder and he's got his 400-pound Canadian bodybuilder stand with him for one reason or another. Uh, and... There are a couple of stories. This is how physically big that um, Greg was. So, for example, Nasser told one, told one story that Greg could not wipe his own ass and his wife had to do it for him. So not only is she cooking up this 10,000 calories a day, food going in, she's having to deal with the food coming out. And I believe at one point they were doing some gig where they stayed at some hotel and whether it was a, a hotel or whether it was Nasir, uh, uh, yeah, Nasir's house, uh, Greg couldn't use the toilet because the cubicle was too small. So uh, he says to Nasir, don't go into the toilet. And you see, you've got the actual toilet and then you've got the rest of the bathroom. Don't go into the bathroom, he says. Why not? Just just don't go into the bathroom. Just take my word for it. Nasir, of course, being the kind of dropsy fella that he was, quite arrogant and, and self-centered, etc., quite egotistical, goes into the bathroom and finds that that's because Greg was 400 pounds, cannot get into the toilet cubicle, he's done the next best thing and is shit in the bar. Because that's the only place he could sit down comfortably and do what needed to be done. God knows whether he was going to clear this kind of mess up for himself or he was going to leave it for the hotel maids. I can own, I don't even want to think about the poor bitch that's going to come in and clear that mess up because you can't shit in the toilet cubicle. That's just crazy. So you've got a bunch of stuff there. One of the things I was touching on in the pre-show with Steve is and you can find his photographs. You can find photographs of him wearing 400 pounds with a waist and looking like a monster that we touched upon earlier on. What you can also find online, uh, and I'd seen these pictures in the magazines when they came out, is one of his last competitions. It looked like his body had stopped responding. He had real, real bad what, what's been termed palumboism, which is when the ripped, veiny, vascular midsection is just bulging in a oh my God, he's pregnant, but he's got abs and veins kind of way. And at the same time, he seemed to have had atrophied muscles elsewhere. His, his chest looked weird, his arms looked shrunken, his legs looked shrunken. He kind of kind of like almost like muscular, but in reverse, Steve. So the big muscles that you want big had shrunk and the muscles that you don't want big have got bigger. And yet at the same time, it's like, like some sort of, I mean, not, you and I are not big, on the forums for the whole sort, what they call uh, receptor saturation. But it kind of looked like his body had had enough. Had had enough of the gear, had enough of the growth hormone, had enough of the training. And it don't matter how hard you train, how hard you diet, you just come in looking like a broken down mess. Literally kind of sort of freakish Frankenstein, something's been put together wrong. And, and, and that's kind of being kind in bodybuilding terms. If you were sitting in the audience, believe you and me, I've been to shows where, you know, where, where they say, oh, you've got no legs. But of course, you've got legs, but this is the kind of situation this guy had to use that euphemism. No arms, no legs, just a muscular midsection, and it was kind of weird looking. So you've got that stuff. Something which we've touched on in podcasts before, and I've used this euphemism on the forums as well, is that there are no big old men. Whether you're fat or whether you're muscular, you do not have 90-year-old fat guys that are 1,000 pounds, 600 pounds. You don't have 400 pound muscular eight-year-olds you just don't so there, there there's there's a couple of things here one, one is just a sheer size is hard work and i've touched on this on myself when i've been as big or when i've had a growth spurt it takes me three months to get used to it and i make a point of going out and getting my steps and trying to get conditioned for my size you need to do that i'm not a top professional body or a top strength athlete so i got the time and the wherewithal to be able to do these things but these guys do not so you've got the stress. And then there's things like, for example, as big and as muscular as he's ever going to get, his rib cage is not really going to grow that much. It may be a bit on a growth hormone. Maybe he does a bit of chest expansion. But ultimately, he's got this incredibly large heart that's working overtime to support the 400 pounds. He's got a digestive tract that's working overtime to sort that, that 10,000 calories out. His endocrine system is working overtime with the gear, which we're going to get into. And... Let's be honest, people, whether you like to hear it or not, it just wears you down. So when he has a heart attack weighing 400 pounds, God help the paramedics or the funeral guys that have got to get that body out of the, out of the house. 
God knows what kind of state he's in. And there's no information out there, fortunately or unfortunately, in terms of a um, autopsy. So we can't see what else was out there. But it's it's going to be simple. It's going to be he's worn himself out. He's worn out heart out. He's done something stupid in the house, and he's trained, and the body just couldn't do it. I wouldn't want for, I wouldn't want him to run for a bus. I wouldn't want him to have to run after you know he's dropped some money on the floor and it's blown away in the wind because that kind of stuff could kill you. Um, how many of my strongman buddies have hurt their tortor muscles, biceps and and uh, triceps, and we've seen that stuff disappear. And that that's just because they put their body into a position he wasn't used to on certain exercises, or they didn't get enough of a warm up for strongman events. We've seen Larry Rules, one of the guys he was training with, five plates aside, and you can see the pec muscle disappearing in the tear. This is kind of Greg's life again. When you are 400 pounds or bigger, your risk factors, if, if there's an insurance company, would take one look at him and go, hell no. It's going to cost you double or triple. Your medical bills are going to be much higher. Just that kind of stuff. Your risk factor for dying, like it or not, is higher. It's just a simple fact that someone that size, doesn't matter if you're lean, doesn't matter if you're muscular, you need to be mega fit to support that. You need to have the world's greatest digestion. The genetics have got to be off the scale. You've got to have, you've got to have uncles and aunties in your background who they're all lived to 87. You need that kind of stuff because otherwise 400 pounds, I'll put it crudely, Steve, 400 pounds will kill you and it will kill you sooner rather than later. The guys that we're seeing in bodybuilding, 300 plus, uh, and again, it's gear related as well, of course, whether we like to admit it or not, are placing an undue stress on their body, which they have not prepared themselves for. Steve talks about gaining slowly. I've talked about gaining slowly. As big as I am, as big as I might be, and maybe in the future I'll get smaller, et cetera, et cetera, all my gains have been average, free, the four and a half pounds a year, three pounds, I believe, off cycle, and four and a half pounds a year, maybe a little bit more on cycle. When you take the length of time I've been training versus what I started at and where I am now, when you add 40, 50, 60, 100 pounds, as some of these guys are doing in a lot less time than me, in their early 20s, weighing 300 pounds, on PEDs, when they're sometimes less than 18, you are putting stress. The life lesson is you've got to compensate for the crisis. If you're going to have this bigger X, you have to compensate for what you're doing. You've got to do yoga. You've got to stretch. You've got to be right on point with the health things. You've got to get medicals. You've got to get blood tests. And if you must gain this weight, do the damn cardio and the exercise so that your heart health and your organ health is on point. Let's get into the PEDs thing. Yeah, so... November 25th, 2013, that's when he passed away. Heart attack, 44 years old. One of those situations where he got the heart attack, got to the hospital, and it's like, look, they try their best. There's nothing they can do. Such a strong heart attack. His arteries are so clogged. All that food, being that heavy, it's going to make it impossible to, to live a long life. And like my officer said, you don't see people in their 70s and 80s who are overweight. You don't see people in their 70s and 80s who smoke cigarettes. It's probably a very, very tiny percentage because if you smoke cigarettes, you're not going to make it to that age. And if you're overweight, you're not going to make it to that age. So it's, it's the most anti-aging things you could do. To add to it, not only did he have all those issues, but then you had steroids in the mix, anabolic <laughs> steroids, which cause your body has to filter these anabolic steroids. It puts a lot of strain on your kidneys, which puts a lot of strain on your heart health. You're so, you know, those androgenic, the estrogenic side effects from steroids just add to it, add fuel to the fire. So when he was that big, you know, um, when you have bigger exia like this, you're going to use as much steroids as necessary to get bigger and bigger and stay big. And in his situation, we could, we could speculate over a gram of decadurabolin. It's one of those that, in his era, a lot of guys who started using steroids in the 90s, you talk to them in the gym, uh, they're like your age, mobster, guys yeah. now who are in their 50s, which Greg would have been if he was still around today. He would be somewhere around your age. And they love DECA. 
They love Deca. Guys nowadays don't like Deca. The people have gone away from Deca. But back in those days, they loved Deca. It was one of those steroids you could run a lot of, and it didn't aromatize into estrogen as much as testosterone. It gave you some joint health. It gave you good mood, and it gave you a lot of appetite. And that's something that Greg wanted. He wanted the appetite. I can imagine the grind of eating that much food. Some of you out there be like, well, that must be awesome that he could eat 10,000 calories a day. No, 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 no. It gets old quick. Right? quick. Trust me on that. It's a job and of work, man. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it is a job in itself. Having yeah. to prep the food, having to eat all the time. You're obsessed with, I have to eat every fucking two hours, every hour and a half, I have to eat. And it's a really pain in the ass. I've been there, done that. Let me just jump in very quickly here, Steve. So Eddie Hall tells a story on one of his uh, videos when he retired, having done the 500 kilo deadlift. And him and his wife, a bunch of strongmen have done this, a bunch of bodybuilders for that matter, have done videos on, on, on YouTube because they get hits where they swap diets for the day. So you've got a normal size, attractive woman in the case of Eddie's wife. And then you've got a uh, retired, and I use that word loosely, Eddie weighing 363 pounds. I believe that's what he weighs at the minute. And they swapped diets for the day. And she was struggling to eat what he, he was eating. And he kind of ate what she would eat by 11 o'clock in the morning and then was hungry for the rest of the day. But she told a very telling story. When he was 420 pounds and getting ready to do the 500 kilo deadlift, it got so bad. I mean, eating got so bad that he's sitting at the table late in the evening. She normally would go to bed at 11. She was working. And he would go out to his hyperbaric chamber and use that as part of recuperation. But this particular evening, she stayed up late. Must have been the weekend. He's trying to get as big as he can to do the 500 kilos. She had to feed him like a baby, Steve. And he was kind of sitting. He says, and I believe, he, I believe, and I might be wrong. I think he said something about, I was on the verge of tears. And she was literally coming, come on, Eddie. You do this 500 kilo deadlift. That's it. You can retire. You'll, you'll have done your lifetime's ambition and was feeding him spoonfuls of food just to get those calories in for the day. And I think he hit something stupid like 11,000 calories. That's how bad this kind of stuff gets. Never mind, and we've touched on this with the PEDs again, the food and the training and then the frequency of pinning. I love DECAST, Dave. I've talked about one of my favorite cycles. Goddamn about putting, a, a, with everything else that he's going to do a gram and a half a week in, but yes, you're right, definitely on the decker, on the appetite. But it is literally a job of work when you've got an Eddie Hall kind of, oh my God, I can't imagine putting another mouth loon in your wife going, come on, Eddie, come on, and pushing a spoon between your lips like a baby so that you can get the last spoonful of food in so you can do the thing that you've promised that you're going to do and then you're going to retire from. And you're almost crying because it's just too much on top of everything else. You're just not hungry. And you know that you've got to eat this food. You've got to make it happen so you can do the thing. That's how bad this stuff gets. And, 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 and I don't care if it gives you an appetite or not. It's, it's, it's kind of like tedious. It really is tedious. It's just not fun at all. It's not jelly and ice cream, people. It's the same kind of healthy stuff that we'd all eat, but just more of it. Can you imagine having four pounds of rice, Steve, or 10 chicken breasts, and this is everything, or 100 pieces of sushi, but every single time, every single meal, week after week up. No, no, no. It's just, so yeah, damn the DECA. <laughs> Not a grandma, I wouldn't want the Well, that's why you need, you know, you need that DECA in there to boost the appetite, but you also need a nutrition partitioners in there as well. And that's why he messed around with three things in there. The HGH, tons of HGH, and then using the insulin, both short acting and long acting insulin. Now, why would you do that? The short-acting insulin, you'd want to take it before your meals. You, you shoot up the insulin, then you eat a meal, and that insulin helps shuttle in that, the nutrients from that meal into your muscles. But the long-acting insulin is something as well that guys will do because what happens with the long-acting insulin, it's in your body all day. So it's in your body all day. It means everything you put in your body, a little snack, a meal, anything is going to partition into the muscle. So you're covered on both bases. So, and it's also forcing you to, to eat often. You've got to keep eating because your blood sugar will drop. 
And the HGH does that too. The HGH will drop your blood sugar when you take that. Well, it's going to raise your blood sugar with the HGH and then the insulin is going to lower your blood sugar. So when you're on that insulin, lowering your blood sugar is forcing you to eat. You got to get in that rice. You got to get in those carbs. You got to get in as much food as you can in there. And you know that it's partitioning. So you're thinking to myself, yes, I'm forcing myself to eat all this food, but at least my body is going to be able to partition it. Another mm-hmm. compound in there, the trembolone, over a gram of trembolone, another one that's great for nutrient partitioning. So he's got the, all the bases covered with that. And then, you know, I'll let you uh, take over, Mobster. What else What else do we think he, he would have messed with as well? So, I, I mean, it occurs to me, if he traveled, if he did any kind of seminars or any kind of work or was doing any work for his sponsors, there's going to be times when he's not going to be able to get the food in. There's going to be times where he's not able to train, as I said, certain gyms or whatever. So some of the steroids that we're going to see that he's taking here are high levels, for example, uh, potentially a 1,000 milligrams of testosterone a week. And even some of the other drugs we've already mentioned, just to hold the muscle that he's got and not get, not, you know, if he can't train as heavy, if he can't eat as much, let's keep this muscle, let's keep me lean, let's keep me functioning, let's keep me looking like a great bodybuilder for my sponsors for the event I'm going to. So a thousand milligrams a week of testosterone recipient, we know that's nice and long acting, so that no matter where he travels, no matter where he flies to, he's got something in his system at all times. He can go away for a week and be fine with this in terms of because we know it's a great drug for TRT. Uh, again, every single drug that he's, he's taken here is, is about keeping that mass on. It was never about really turning him into Olympia winning physique because he just didn't have that. So for example, again, the idea of 100 milligrams a day of Dianabol, that's that's twice as much as I've ever done. And 30, 30 to 50 milligrams a day is fine by 99% of our listeners again. But he's going to use the water retention in there for, for the joints, the muscular, uh, the muscles being keeping keep where they are, keeping not, not not shrinking away, not losing that leverage. Literally, I mean, he's going to be given the, the, the muscle dysmorphia again. There's probably going to be elements of some of these drugs in here where if he feels he's lost an inch of his arms, oh my God, they've gone from 26 to 25 or from 25 to 24, he probably feels kind of funky. So some of these drugs, it's just about keeping this huge amount of size on him. So he feels good with the dysmorphia. The idea that when he turns up to do a seminar or, or a health shop promotion for the sponsor and he's only got 24 inch arms, like that's a terrible thing. And the crowd still goes wild because I've never seen a man with 24 inch arms at six foot four turns up, just a huge piece of a man. It'd be a head fuck for him shrinking down. So as you say there, Steve, um, 150 milligrams a day of, of anadrol. Same for, I'm honestly, the anadrol is one of those drugs that you can put on a ton of water, a ton of size real quick. And again, this is a typical user. It's probably kind of a small amount for a man that's great size, but it's a huge amount for a normal fella trying to put on weight. And it's one of those drugs that if you take this and it, you, you respond well to it, you can literally, I mean, Steve and I see this post on the forums all the time. A person will come on and say, I want to put 20 pounds on a cycle. And we're not the only two, but we're the, mo- we're the most vocal saying you really don't want to put 20 pounds on in one hit. You just don't. And this is, again, on an average size person, average size frame, et cetera, et cetera. For Greg, this is a muscle retainer. It's a the, the water helping the joints is going to enable him to smash stuff out in the gym. For some people, anadrol can be quite an aggressive drug. Certainly with the trend that he's already doing, Decker, we know that what kind of makes your feel joints feel good, even if it's not really as healing as people make out. The the 18 I use per day of HGH, I'm going to get onto that specifically here, Steve, because, and I touched on it earlier on, at the end of his bodybuilding career, he had, as I said earlier on, what amounted to palumbarism, which is where the body has thin skin, it's kind of vascular looking, but things just don't look right. This is not a bloke that's not in shape. It looks like wrong at the bodybuilding making factory and small arms have been put on a big body. And you end up with this massive swollen stomach, which you can see all of the abdominal muscles, which might be a four pack, six pack, eight pack, however lucky you are, with veins, but it looks like you're pregnant. It looks like you've eaten and you haven't been a shit for several days. And this is kind of how we look. It kind of looked like everything had stopped responding. And the 18 I use a day, I got to me, this is probably something that he was doing year round. This is not someone getting in this kind of this kind of level of, 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 of HGH 
for, for a competition because of how he looked, because of how he ended up looking, because of what happened to him, because of his need to be that big, for the dysmorphia, because of his need to be that big just for his uh, contract fulfillment, uh, what specific specifications in the contract, we need you to do this many appearances, we need you to be this kind of shape all year round, this is the reason we're going to give you six foot, six figure, $200,000, $400,000 contract, minimum of $100,000, it probably felt that it was, I, I, I'm going to say 10 to 18 I used all year round, Steve. And again, in my mind, seeing what his physique ended up like before he died, I just think he should have come off certain things at certain times. And I guarantee that he was on 24-7, 365. There was, the 18 I used to me almost feels like that was his go-to dose every day of the year. And upping that dose for competitions because of how he looked, because of what happened to him and everything else. So yeah, some of these numbers, I, I would not want to run, and I like Decker, I would not want to run 1,500 milligrams a week. That is a lot of stuff going in. 1,200 milligrams a week, a trend. Guys, we've got people on the forums taking 250, 350 milligrams of trend and not liking how they feel. Can you imagine how you'd feel if you were that bad as a responder and then you're on 1,200 milligrams a week? The Anadrol, like I said, that's a nasty oral drug. It's a nasty drug in terms of how your body can respond. It's a great one from, in Greg's case, maintaining his muscle tissue, but it's it's not a very nice drug for most people to use. Certainly not, in my mind, again, this is a drug that you would have probably been using on, staying on way too long and keeping that muscle tissue, keeping that size on. The D-Bow was almost reasonable, but together with the Anadrol, probably a real, real bad idea. I would probably pick one over the other. I wouldn't want to use both, but I think my, my gut feeling tells me that he's probably using both. And again, I'm saying that this HGH has probably got his year to go round average everyday dose and up in it for competitions. Then you've got the, the multiple pinning of the insulin on top. And, and, and we're back to everything that we said before. This is just to be 400 pounds or more. This is just to be as big as he is. This is not to win anything beyond the Niagara competition. It's literally... He walks out on stage, the audience goes mad because it's like Tom Platz's fires. It's just a freak factor there. And then that's it. He's back in the lineup. You go, oh my God, I've seen that. No, now I've seen it. But he's not getting called out for the pose down. He's not one of the top six. He's just a huge freak. And he's doing these kind of level of PEDs just to be a huge freak, not to win uh, an Arnold not to win some of the other big shows, not to not being invited over, you know, doing stuff in India and Dubai and whatever else. It's just to be that huge 400 pound guy. And like we said earlier on, guys, it didn't end well. 44 years of age, Steve, that's no age at all. That That's kind of like hardcore drug dying young kind of territory, late 30s, early 40s, like if you're on a heroin or, or meth or something like that, and you die at that kind of age. The idea that you're 44 and you're a beast, an absolute monster when it comes to training and stuff like that, and then you drop down dead. What, what happened now? Seriously, guys, and I'll, I'll, I'll do one of those life lesson things again. We've got guys, and in fact, it's very nice, numbering on the forums and talking about how bodybuilding is his life, and he comes across real well, and I said to him, that's your attitude now. And you're looking at peptides, you're looking at myostatin inhibitors, you're looking at other things. He comes across like he's doing the right kind of research or whatever else, but he can't see beyond adding muscle. And I'm like, right, so I probably outweigh him by 30, 40 pounds. And I'm saying you have to have a small part of your focus on what's going to happen to you, what you're doing with training, the risk factors, certainly what's going to come after bodybuilding and stuff. You have to look beyond that stuff sometimes. And again, it's one of those things being slightly older that's useful here. So, and it's stuff like, you know, Steve and I are probably going to touch on this, and I believe you've probably touched on another podcast, Steve, that the idea or there's, there's some sort of unlimited muscle factor coming in terms of myostatin inhibitors. And then Steve and I say, yeah, but what about organ growth? What about the fact that even if, you, if you've got the genetics, but they're not good genetics, it's no good having a 26-inch arm or a 15-inch chest or a 60-inch chest if you don't look right. And you're just going to have something like out of an alien cartoon or something. It's going to be as big as it can possibly get. 
but not put together right. It still won't win the Mystery Olympia. It might get paid to come to a seminar, but it won't, it'll do nothing else. And then the myostatin is only affecting the muscle. It's not affecting everything else. It's not affecting your digestion. It's not affecting your bones, not affecting your connective tissues, not affecting your heart health. So the idea sometimes that we can do this kind of crazy stuff, get absolutely circus freakishly big and expect to be okay with it is just not going to happen. You need to have these other things going on. You need to be thinking about what's going to happen when you stop. You need to be thinking what's going to happen when you stop being 400 pounds, when you stop taking these kind of drugs. You need to think that you are, I think you used a phrase in a previous podcast, if you're revving the engine and you're not, you're not taking your foot off the gas. I think you say it's like just, 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 the, the car's constantly maxing out on the RPM. That's, this is what this is like. And Greg is a great example of, from a guy that couldn't wipe his own ass, couldn't shit in a cubicle, at a five, six, seven hundred dollar a week food bill, was doing crazy amounts of steroids, and then just plane dropped down dead of a heart attack at 44. You need to be thinking about other things, guys, even if it's just getting your body ready to be strong and being able to stay strong and be healthy or have something like health in your life state. Yeah, I think I think myostatin inhibitors is something too that he messed around with. Anything he could get his hands on. He was so obsessed with being big. There's pictures of him online next to Jay Cutler, Mr. Olympia. There's pictures yeah. of him next to Dave Palumbo, who's a big, big bodybuilder. And he makes them look like shrimps. And he looks like a giant next to them. And I think that's what he enjoyed. That was his motivation for doing what he did. That was his motivation. That was what he needed in his life. He just felt like he needed to be a giant. He needed to be bigger than everyone else and a giant. And it's definitely something in your head. It's some type of, it's hard for us to understand it, but to him, that was his obsession to be as big as possible. And uh, it's one of those things that's called bigorexia and in rich Piana had it. Dallas McCarver had it. And these guys all died young. So finish off the show, Mobster, and then give us the... I was going to say, I, I have some elements of this uh, stuff going in my, my own life, right? Now, some of it is just not being flexible enough. But it can be difficult to wipe my ass. So this is the stuff you tell people about on podcasting. I have to kind of reach around. And a buddy of mine used to, used to joke about using a stick. Right. And I, I, you guys have I, that thing in, in, in Europe where you sit on it and it squirts water. What is that? No, I've got, I've got nine toilets in this place. So three of them are plumbed in because it's the old club, as you know. Well, you know what I'm talking about? That they have that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you don't have that in Britain? Could you imagine me getting into the shower? No, 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 no. It's bad enough having to reach around and try not to get a back, a lat cramp. Yeah, I even struck yesterday. I go in, uh, not just my car, which is a Jeep. I don't drive. The girlfriend drives, although it belongs to me. And it's a sit-up-and-bed kind of car. It's a Jeep. It's a four-wheel drive. And I still have to squeeze myself in. A buddy of mine's got a 7 Series BMW and with all the electric accoutrements. And I still have to squeeze myself in. If I get into someone else, I've got to the back of that car coming back from the road trip in Bristol, Steve. And it's like one leg in, then my ass in, then my head in, then the other ass in. And then my other leg in, and I sit with one leg spread across the two seats. And that's my size now. So, and I, I just set, I'm tying my shoelaces up. It's, it's a right, man. I'm not going to get tied up in the middle. I'm going to get tied up to the side because it's a flexibility thing. And I'm by no means as big as some of the guys I know, and no means as big as Greg. And it's difficult for me. But again, it's kind of like this is what you do, this is how it is, right? I'm not walking around with 36 inch fires. My fires have been 30. But again, I'm six foot three. My arms have been 20. Again, I'm six foot three. My chest is over 50. Some of it is old man inflexibility. So, yeah, you've got all of these kind of things going on, guys. It, you need to have what you imagine versus the reality needs to be lined up. You need to start thinking. It's like you're building a house, starting with the foundations. You need to go, right, I'm going to do this. These things are going to happen. When they happen, I need to be ready. I need to be compensating for them. If I roll a dice and I go over a gram on this and over a gram on that, I need to understand my risk factors. I need to comprehend what you're doing. 
and you need to compensate like that. So I know, for example, that I have to go out and get a certain number of steps every day. I need to go out and climb myself some nice steep hills and some mountains and do some trail walking. I need, I can do certain things with my diet, but I can't go crazy all the time. I kind of eat kind of relatively small during the day. So I'm gonna have my big meals of the night time. Uh, you know, could I eat more healthily? Sure. Could, could I weigh less? 100%, of course I could. So it's stuff like that. You need to have this kind of stuff going on. And, you know, trust me, you, you, when you can't wipe your own ass, you're too damn big. Uh, and you need to be more flexible. Uh, you know, when, when don't go complain. I've seen pictures of bodybuilders when they've had to go out and get suits made. And you're looking at an $800 or $1,000 for kind of crappy looking suits sometimes just because there's a 15 or 20 inch drop between your chest and your waist. And all, all, all joking aside, Ronnie looks like a pimp when he's got a suit, when he really does, especially when he was over 300 pounds, probably not so bad now. So yeah, you've got certain elements out there. You need to go to top level tailors. And if you're not a top level bodybuilder, not getting top level money, you can't afford a top level $2,000, $5,000 suit. You just can't. So you've got that kind of stuff. And this is just walking around kind of stuff. So yeah, it's a whole level of comprehension. Uh, otherwise, you're like Rich Piano. Everything was with a vest or a shirt on. There was, there was never a time when you saw him dressed up in a suit and a skirt and a tie. I can't think of anything like that. So yeah, yeah it's, it, it's, it's a kind of weird situation. But yeah, being as big as Greg was, it's quite simple. No big, old, strong, muscular bodybuilders that are 95 years of age. Just doesn't happen. Older, old, my, my history books for bodybuilding and weightlifting, most of the big older guys hit 60 and they were healthier then than they are now, Steve. So there you go. So, uh, yeah, take us into the disclaimer, buddy. We'll finish out the show. So, guys, this was episode, great episode, guys. Episode 147, Greg Kovacs. We'll have another one next week. Take care, guys. Don't forget, guys, please note we're not doctors and the opinions that we express on this podcast are ours. It's our views and our experience, and it's based on years of being involved in the AI game when we talk about these topics. Our podcasts offer informational and entertainment purposes only. The freedom of speech and the First Amendment rule applies.